we've changed in a lot of ways since we have become farmers here at Longleaf Breeze, but I can't think of any change that's been more fundamental than this idea of our becoming hunters to kill deer and eat their meat as food for us. That's a big change. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian. And welcome to our podcast of December 1st, 2010. Can you believe it's December? I guess with the weather outside today, I we can. We can believe it this morning <laughs> because we are. it's chilly here at Longleaf Breeze. After some balmy days. Well, yesterday just was weird weather. We had we were under tornado warnings and had a good bit of wind and rain. So yeah. uh, glad to have some sun today. But Wednesday, December the 1st has dawned gorgeous, breezy, a little cool, but uh, very but that's pleasant. Okay. Well, I'm interested in what you were saying in the intro about um, shooting deer. And, and it raises the question, are you and I? specifically you, you'll be doing the shooting, are, are we cut out to be hunters? And Good question. Why? I mean, we, we both grew up in families where um, at least our, immediate, our parents weren't hunters. I do have an uncle. I have great-grandparents who were into hunting. And I have three siblings, and none of them has ever had any interest in hunting, nor have I. Right. Uh, so this is a bit of a change for us to yeah. be talking about shooting deer and cutting their flesh up so we can eat it, um, it's a big uh, big move for us. And let's look at a little bit of what motivates our change. Um, of course, anyone who's listened to our podcast of the last year knows that we struggled <laughs> with uh, those critters eating our hard, you know, Which our, has vegetation caused us we... to come to view them differently. Yes, yes. And I also, I knew about deer overpopulation before taking the Master Gardener class, because I remembered studying, um, even in college, as far back as the 70s, about the way we have artificially eliminated their predators, that deer populations were in balance with nature because there were natural predators. And what's happened is we've killed off those predators through development. We've, we've um, you know, wiped their, their populations out. And now the deer actually are in danger of the population... Um, you know, rising and then crashing because of hunger and, you know, starvation and, and cruel ways to do. But what I was going to say about the Master Gardener, when we had the, our lecturer who talked about wildlife, um, it just brought it home because he brought out the fact that we are actually doing a disservice to not only the community, but the deer if we don't do something to keep their populations in check. And it changed for me somewhat in reading books like Michael Pollan's The Omnivore's Dilemma, where he begins to build a case that to ignore the hunting and foraging aspect of our food gathering is to leave a crucial um, gap in the overall strategy. That's right. So that's another uh, thing that makes us lean in that direction, and particularly here at Longleaf Breeze, where our emphasis is on subsistence, we have a great food source here, and 
we've come to decide that we should not simply ignore that food source. We should make use of it. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's a little bit about the reasons why we've we've changed our viewpoint. Uh, but you have been doing some shopping. Well, in the wake of a visit with our good friends, uh, Fred and Carol, who came to the farm the other day, and Fred's a hunter from way back. He's got expertise, has done a good bit in the past. Very helpful to yeah. visit with a seasoned hunter and walk our property so he could look at fields and say, this is where it would work. You could put your tree stand here. You need to be careful about this, this, and this. I mean, it was just um, so helpful to be able to hear him think out loud as he was walking around our property. That's right. But after and, visiting with him, you were saying you've now started shopping for all this equipment, and you're finding out that many hunters are in it purely for sport. Or at least a great deal for sport and sort of give lip service to the idea that this is a food source, but that's not the way you and I view it. Right. For us, this is a harvest idea. And you know what it means for me is I'm not interested in anything just because it makes it more fun. I'm not interested in bow hunting, for example. I want to use a gun. I want to I don't I'm not interested in anything that gives the deer a fighting chance to survive. But 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 I do want to intervene there. We're not talking about taking pot shots at deer from a helicopter or some of the things that when we say give them a sporting chance, we're not talking about the cruelty that I think is inherent in some of the um, practices you see in Alaska, for example, and places like that. Well, exactly. I think, and you and I have discussed this, it is very important to both of us that when we shoot a deer, we want it to be a single shot that's clean, close, and deadly. Absolutely. So that the deer goes down right away with a minimum of pain. Yeah, we want to be frankly, humane about it. with a minimum of damage to its flesh so that we can make right. the most of it for food. Yeah, it's. I mean, I see that as, as mutually and beneficial. And I have no interest in mounting a head with horns on the wall. That does not It's not about charm, trophy deer, any, that's right. Any charm for me. It's not about trophies. And, and as a matter of fact, we've learned that doe have tastier meat than bucks, so I'm targeting does as we're trying to figure out how this should work. I have no interest in shooting bucks. I want to shoot does. And we learned something from our Master Gardener lecture about which deer, if you're really trying to, to keep the population down, which ones you should shoot. I'm trying to remember what. what I thought it learn? was does, um, but... Um, I could be wrong about that. It's certainly not the babies or something like that. You yeah, just I, I don't remember. But anyway, um, it's yeah. A lot of uh, trophy hunters really do want the uh, the bucks with lots of ant horns, horns and, and yeah, antlers. I don't antlers. know. I don't know. I'm sorry. It's not even and, horns. And how it's many antlers. points Forgive they me. would have? Is sixteen right. points about right? I don't know. But that's and, and certainly I think there's a camaraderie aspect to it that a lot of hunters have too. That. Yes, if you and another man decide to hunt together, that would be there. I mean, that's a good thing. But and and being out in nature, but then being out in nature at four in the morning doesn't sound that great. You should mention what you found out about the schedule. I just pictured hunters going out in the middle of a beautiful day, you know, sitting in the woods and kind of waiting around for a deer to come along. That's not Unfortunately, what it is. Unfortunately, that's not when the deer are active. The deer are active in at dawn and at dusk. So um, you're either climbing up in your tree and and, and on in our area of the state the best way to hunt a deer is from a tree. 
or from a stand where you're up off the ground. And uh, you got to get up there before the sun comes up or you're going to be up there in all likelihood after the sun goes down. It's not something that you can start at 10 and finish up by 2. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which is too bad because that would be the more pleasant time of day, day to do it here uh, during the wintertime. And that's not to say you couldn't ever see a deer running through the woods in the middle of the day. In fact, you and Joe and I stumbled onto a, a buck one day walking along. Of course, you scared him away because you went, Oh my gosh! We, did do you we see really that? need to bring that up again? <laughs> but we've we've beat that one and, and sufficiently. I have certainly seen uh, does around in the middle of the day too, but you can't count on it. If you're really if you're out right. there waiting to to try to right. bag one, you're just not going to do it that way. So it's going to be um, at the shank of the the morning and the shank of the evening rather than in the middle of the day. So uh, we've been shopping for a tree stand, um, which is yeah. a specialized piece of equipment that you can do you can use to hoist a 195-pound man up a tree safely and get him back down again safely. Um, and so that's one of the things that we're going to be acquiring here in the next few days. I've also been putting some ryegrass seed out uh, around Piccadilly over on the west side of the property. Piccadilly is a little clearing over on the west side where all trails converge. That's why we call it Piccadilly. Sort of like Piccadilly Circus in London. Exactly. So um, I've been seeding it with ryegrass. Not the favorite food of deer, but it's something that can grow here in December. So we put that out there. Um, the latest question I've struggled with is, I have these earmuffs I wear. Hunters generally don't wear earmuffs. You're talking about hearing protection, right. not if the they kind wear of... anything. They wear tiny little earplugs. Uh, but I want to wear my earmuffs, and so I and and again, that's from the standpoint. It's not sport for me. I'm doing the harvest, and I don't want to mess up my ears in the process. So I've got to figure out whether I can somehow camouflage a pair of earmuffs. That's my uh, challenge. I bet there's jour. a way. I, I bet there is too. We may end up with a couple of cans of spray paint and just kind of, you know, yeah. spray them with brown, gray, and green and be done with it. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the on the optimistic assumption that I am going to be successful in shooting a deer. What will we do with it after we have um, a deer hunted? Right, because I know um, you've talked about that most people... I guess, field dress their own deer and then take it to a processor? And then take it to a processor. And what you and I have figured out is that it's really, the advantage of a processor is primarily if you're planning to use, to grind up the meat or to make sausage. And that doesn't hold much charm for us. What we're planning to do is cut it up. So we thought we wouldn't mess with the processor. We would just do it here. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound very fun to me, but hey, got to do something with it. And the other thing that we're struggling with is venison meat is not as tasty as pork or beef or even chicken because course, it's lower eat, in fat. I don't eat beef anyway, but yeah. And because it's lower in fat, our assumption is we're not, we're relatively unlikely to be cooking venison steak for example. Right. I don't think I would eat that. It's like a steak. I mean, like a 
beefsteak. Instead, we think it's likely that we will be cutting up the venison and using it as the base for a broth that we use for stew yeah. or soup or something like that. I think like that would that. work really well. And, and we have a lot of veg. So there's no reason that we could not enjoy a whole lot of soup or stew during the winter that we make using venison as its base. Right. Yeah. So given that, that's another reason not to, if that's not the usual way that a processor cuts up the meat, exactly. then that's another reason to do it ourselves. Well, um, speaking of guns, I got my new gun out the other day and tried it, and I think you decided I was the next Annie Oakley, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You you passed with flying colors. We're uh, I basically have designed three tests for you, and you have passed the first test Yay. fine. And the second and the third test will come at a time you do not expect. And, oh, uh, dear. We will run you through your paces so that you are thoroughly comfortable with all the steps involved in getting out your gun and using it and putting it back up in a way that's appropriate and right. so forth. So. Okay, well, that sounds good. Well, um, transitioning to ta- talking about food that we did not have to shoot ourselves, <laughs> um, we purchased... Oh, so smoothly done, <laughs> We purchased uh, turkey the other day. Um, on the actual Thanksgiving Day, uh, we go to visit with your brother and at his farm and all the relatives and the turkey, somebody else does the turkey. But... We always have we have a tradition of on the Friday afterwards getting together with my mother and we like to have a turkey so that we can enjoy it. That day is our little Thanksgiving day, but also um, to have some for sandwiches and leftover and make stew, exactly. et cetera. So you had just gotten a new smoker and you decided to cook the turkey in it. And it, it was turned good. into an all day cook fest. I started at five 15, I guess, 5.15 in the morning, cooking the turkey, smoking the turkey. And um, as soon as the turkey was finished, we put a couple of racks of ribs in. Because what we've learned about that smoker is once you fire it up, you might as well use it for as much as you can possibly justify putting into it. Right. Because, you know, the big deal is getting it out and firing it up and then cleaning it up after you've used it. Once you've got it turned on, it's no no problem to put something else on. So as soon as the turkey was finished, we put a rack, couple of racks of ribs on and cooked them. And then as soon as they were finished, we used the uh, – and, and we had, of course, by that time eaten our Friday Thanksgiving dinner. And when that was done and the, rat, and the ribs were done, we started making uh, stew – to put up, and we ended up making two or three gallons good. of stew. It's very good yeah. with smoked turkey and so forth. It was it was delicious. It does have a very pungent, smoky flavor, right? Which may not be for everyone, right? Uh, it's uh, we like it, uh, but I think you said you may not want it every time. I don't we have stew. necessarily want every stew to have that flavor, but hey, you know it works, and it was. A post-Thanksgiving turkey stew, so yeah. you have to have those. That's part of it. Um, we've been already transitioning and thinking about uh, that. that's the meat. We've been talking a lot about meat today, but let's talk a little bit about vegetables. Which um, is a subject with which you are more comfortable fundamentally. I, I am. I could be a vegetarian, really, and we've talked about that many times. But I, um, although I do like seafood a lot. Maybe someday our pond will play a, a part in that. It. That's my plan. But um, the uh, our vegetable garden from last summer is pretty much 
except for the row of, of the greens that we have planted um, for fall. Looking kind it's, of forlorn Yeah, I, now. I, I've torn have... everything down except the lima beans, which I just harvested the last of those the other day, and I will probably go out there today or tomorrow and or the next day and pull those vines down. And when you have done that, then we will remove those trellises, and then we will basically have shut down everything for, yeah. from this summer's garden. That's right. But I'm looking forward to um, looking ahead and looking forward to next year because I'm thinking, you know, I need to go ahead and decide what I'm going to plant for then. And um, I'm definitely wanting to go with open pollinated as much as possible so we can save our own seed. I've been shopping around for seed that, since one thing we've learned in Master Gardener, there are particular varieties of plants that do better in our area than others. And after the struggle with the squash bugs and the squash vine borers and the tomato hornworms and the stink bugs and all the problems we've had, I want to give our veg every advantage. So it's a bit, you know, and I'll go into more detail maybe next week, but uh, except, just suffice it to say, there is not a one-stop shopping uh, <laughs> uh, venue that I can go to to find all the seed or even in some cases to even find any of the you seed know, that have been suggested. last year when you did this, it was at least a half a day it that takes you time. spent mm -hmm. Uh, reading, first figuring out who is and is not affiliated with Monsanto. Yeah, that's, that's your, a biggie. And, and once you've winnowed that down, even among that group, figuring out who has the varieties you need and in stock and has a website that works, it, it's this is a, a little bit of a balkanized world in which yeah. we are shopping for seed. There's a wonderful opportunity for somebody to come along with some good data processing skills and um, own this market. Yeah. And right now, nobody does. And especially because there are a lot of people like me who, I guess, well, maybe, I don't know if there are a lot of people like me, but in that, I want to find the locally successful varieties that are... Um, that Hopefully, you can grow open, yeah, that I can grow easily, chemicals. and that I can find in one place. And uh, you know, I'm 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 trying to be realistic. Not everybody's going to have those, but it's uh, I've started with the Seed Savers Exchange, and we'll see. Like I said, I can talk more about it next week because I will have done some more research. Okay, but um, it is it's it's a hard harder job than I would have thought. And I guess I want to talk a little bit about this transition to becoming seed savers. We've known since we grew our first tomato that it was important for us to save seeds, yet we have not done it yet. We haven't saved seeds successfully. I did save some pumpkin seeds from last year and some cantaloupe seeds. And did we use them? Yes. Okay. And the cantaloupe actually turned out really well, for, but then I didn't save any this year. It was right. some that I'd saved from last year. But it's just a hard transition to get into that rhythm of saying, okay, we need to save seed before, you know, when you and I are, you know, cutting up a pumpkin or cutting up a squash or eating okra, it's hard to think about, okay, we need to save seed. Right. We need to save seed. So uh, I think we can do it, but it is going to require some change in our rhythm yeah. about harvesting and food prep and That's so forth. That's right. And we'll we'll get there eventually. Yeah. So. Well, I guess we're about yeah, out of about time. Yeah, so. we're about out of time, so I hope that uh, 
The beginning of December is good for you, and we will look forward to catching up with you next week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log, check in with Lee and Amanda, and talk with other listeners. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.